Well, it's so lovely to see all of you again. Uh, and I know that some of you are spending Saturday together, which is very cool. So I'm very thankful to get time with you and be included in that time. Um, I thought I'd start us off with a, a sort of short sit, um, but I wanted to offer you something inside of that this time. Um, so I'm gonna do an adapted um, bit from this book, Your Body Knows the Answer. And do you remember our, when, when we studied this a while back, the gap mm -hmm. piece? Okay, so this was um, something that Flag, that Flag, oh wow, Flint and Peg. Oh, that's wonderful, uh, Flag. In my mind, but it sounds, which uh, <laughs> is. That's a keeper. There it is, yeah, there you go. There's a, a really good Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, so, they shared this grounded aware presence practice with us. So they call it gap practice. And it is not Zazen proper, but what they explained and shared with us, it is kind of an entree into Zazen when you're trying to get settled. At least that's how I've experienced it. Um, but I wanted to offer it to you in a short set at the beginning because I'm actually was, uh, my wife is sitting with me a little bit uh, and this is new for her. Um, and I was looking for something that would kind of help her figure this out a little. Um, and like, she's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And there's all the anxieties and all the discursive whirling that comes when you're new to this. And then, you know, after she's like, Zen is your thing. I'm not even sure I can do that. There's all this stuff, right? But this very simple gap practice was a really nice way to enter. So, um, I thought I'd offer it to you and see what you think. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get yourself into a comfortable seat. I'll ring the bells and then just kind of listen along. Uh, we'll sit for about six or seven minutes or so, just a few minutes to get settled in. Find a comfortable seated position and simply become aware of your body. Sense its position, weight, and inner space. After a while, center your attention at your base, your seat, where your body is supported by whatever you are sitting on. Feel the weight of your body and how it is planted on the earth. Trusting yourself to the earth's solidity, let your body really settle and be at ease. Appreciate the simplicity of being bodily present here and now. Say the word grounded softly to yourself grounded. Next, 
bring your attention to the head. Close your eyes and lower your gaze. Concentrate your awareness on your sense of hearing. Be open and sensitive to any sound from the environment, especially the kinds of background noise that we usually don't notice at all. You can note sounds with a simple mental label. Birds singing, traffic noise, refrigerator hum, but try not to enter into a discursive thought process. At the same time, try to notice the larger quality of silence that surrounds whatever you hear from moment to moment. Sense the whole space around you, extending even beyond the walls and what you can see from where you sit. Experience the vast panoramic quality of awareness. Say to yourself softly, aware, aware. Now move your attention to the center of your chest. Place your hand gently over your heart and experience the quality of presence. You are simply here, alive, breathing, feeling, experiencing your basic existence. It is happening right now at this very moment. Softly repeat the word present, present. Finally, let your attention encompass your whole body and repeat to yourself, grounded, aware, presence. Grounded, aware, presence. Rest here.
So how was that for you? What did you notice? I found it very comforting to have my hand on my heart. Ah, welcome, William. <laughs> Thank you. We just did a brief sit and an exercise, so we'll let you kind of listen in and see how it went. Len. Uh, last week, uh, you asked asked us to gather the things that we expected for this workshop, and I was not able to do it. But from the beginning, I was thinking about meditation because um, I was saying in some other group that uh, uh, when, whenever you read the, whatever you read from Sun. Uh, the author talks about meditation. So thank you for this. Yeah. And we'll do some more. Uh, we'll hear some more from folks and we'll do some more zazen as well together, more sitting. You can feel free to take yourself off, off mute and just speak. We'll use the hand thing now and again later, but it's nice just to hear open voices and build off what people say. Um, yeah, I liked um, the way it built from your ears, um, and especially with the ears, the, you know, the kind of background noise, like for me, it's the heater, um, and um, then expanding that to the silence around all that noise, that, that was very enriching, and then building from there, um, I think I, I missed the awareness, was A the awareness part? Yeah. All, all of a sudden I was on presence. So I'm not, <laughs> I might've been still on the ears and then I got to the presence. Um, but um, I, I, you know, even with those two aspects, it, it built from um, in to out. Mm -hmm. so it was really nice. Thank you. I agree and find that sound is so far for me, the most grounding um, element or option. Um, and, and I find that if I'm not singing something to myself, like singing a mantra, I really go all over. So I was singing um, grounded, aware presence the entire time in, in just you know notes that I made up. And that, that plus the environmental sounds are for me what I find most grounding and most immediate. They put me most into the awareness of being now and here. So that can become sort of a meditation object, right? A, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? Yeah, it's so interesting that um, unlike Genev, my default go-to um, thing to concentrate on is my physical sensation, kind of dropping in. And that instruction that was written about um, allowing yourself to, to trust the earth that you are supported. 
is really um, evocative for me. I love that when we combine these anchors, these signals, grounded, aware presence with a, a, a breathing and meditation practice that over time they become embodied and we don't even need the words anymore. Just the sit holds all of those elements. And so I always like having what I call new devices, new toys <laughs> to play with, to embody, and then I can let go. And so this was lovely because I've not had that combination before, but I, I do now. Thank you. Um, it was interesting, Jenna, when you were talking about sound. Sound is actually not the thing that, that's actually hard for me to do that. That's not the, my, my default. I also, uh, it's very important for me to sort of drop into the sensations of my body because I'm so above the neck in most of my life. That's where I tend to go. But why this popped up for me was because in reading Gogu oh, and Silent Illumination, he talks about that as a means of uh, sitting with sound in a particular way. And all of a sudden I was drawn back to this and going, I've, I've done something like this before. This feels familiar. Um, uh, and so I thought it would, it's, a, it's a helpful on-ramp for me when my mind, my monkey mind has totally taken over. Uh, and I can do this as I am get as I'm first sitting. Um, and in fact, I do a lot of public presenting in front of large groups. Um, and for me doing this before I walk out in front of a group of 100 people or 200 people, that same sort of short, grounded, aware presence move is helpful for me to then be present in the room. So uh, this is one that's been um, really useful to me in that space too. So. Well, just a tiny note, as someone highly attuned to sound, your voice is incredibly grounding. Oh, cool. Good to have that. I was telling somebody before, I said my dad was a pastor, so I got the, I got the pastor's voice passed on. It's went in a different spiritual tradition, much to his chagrin, but that's, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. Uh, <laughs> well, um, Today, I uh, hopefully you got a chance to get the handouts or have them vir you know, virtually somewhere. Uh, William, do you have those things handy? Because we'll refer to them. Uh, no, I do not. Okay, let me see if I can send you the, a quick link to them. Cool. Uh, as fast as I can. Uh... Claudine, I feel like I interrupted you. I apologize if you had something to say. Hello. Yes, thank you, Anne. I wanted to say that what was important for me during this sitting and what you said, Nate, was coming in my body like you, Anne, the sensation was very important. And to feel that my body had its own language as I mm. said before in the other group where I was. Um, its own language and this language is a one of vibration, something very, very quick and going through the body. I can't explain even, with, not in English, 
like I would say a furmimo, like little ants going over all the place oh. and vibrating. And it's so different from the, the expression of my mind that I decided to stop thinking and just watch. And it was, yeah, it was quite uh, interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Claudine. Um, well, last time uh, we spent a little bit of time sort of talking about Buddha and Buddha nature. And today I wanted to spend a little bit more time there, obviously, as we get into Zazen and some instruction for Zazen that might be useful. Um, but also then turn our attention to Dharma and this idea of Dharma. Um, and because I am still the old English teacher, one of the ways I wanted to start us off as we think about Buddha, uh, Dharma, and Sangha as our refuges, is to reflect on any place in your life where you take unhealthy refuge. So that's actually on the back of page two. And I'm, that language of unhealthy refuge is coming from a practice conversation I had many years ago with Flint. And he said something, at least in my memory, that there was, it's so easy to take unhealthy refuge in places. And it's so important to notice where those places are. Uh, and it has stuck with me ever since. And it's probably not even what he said. Uh, but the, that, that idea is, was transited, right, of unhealthy refuge. So I thought it'd give us just a, a minute or two to jot down of where do you take unhealthy refuge? And then we'll spend a little bit more time with the refuges themselves. Take a minute or so more to jot down thoughts. They don't have to be coherent sentences. A list is fine. But we'll share out in uh, trios, in groups of three in a minute. We'll share out in little breakout rooms so we all get a chance to chat.
did you say unhealthy as unhealthy not- refuge yeah unhealthy refuge thank you Rosemary, would you mind setting up the breakout for us? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just set, include me as well. So we can just do groups of three. Um, as we go, obviously, this is inviting some vulnerability. Uh, so share as, as you're comfortable sharing, and you're welcome to pass. So think about answering this in any way that feels right for you. But we'll just spend about, uh, let's just say, eight minutes. We'll keep it sort of brief, Rosemary, if you wouldn't mind. Um, just share out with your small groups of how did you reflect on that question or what showed up for you? So we'll see you back here in a couple minutes. All right. Well, we had such a lovely conversation. I'm curious to hear what what you took from that conversation around unhealthy refuge. Uh, Claudine said something that I was moved by, which is, that we have, we create habits and we sustain habits in our lives, which interfere with our ability to be intimate with ourselves. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a lovely way to frame it. That's beautiful. I might steal that from you forever, Claudine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when we are, as I said before, in our group, we have to thank Flint for that. But we thank you for this. (laughs) Yes, really was the one who who spoke very often of that. And for me, what was very important in our group was to to be aware of the fact that there were so many levels of uh, refugees. I have been thinking only of my own addictions like food or buying things or television, but also the habits and the patterns we put in place and so many different things. It's as if (laughs) it was different shelters and all the shelters going in different directions and all separating me from from me. (laughs) I have a kind of corollary, which is something that separates me from me and from other people and from life, which is I have unhealthy relational patterns. So that, for example, if somebody, a friend does something to me that makes me feel condescended to or belittled, I won't say anything, Mm. but eventually it will add up and it will add up and it will add up. And then I'll say something inappropriate or rude or loud. And but the, the refuge I'm trying to take is to avoid conflict. And that's really not fair to either of us because conflict is intimacy if you are not afraid of it. I'm glad you put it that way. There's two things that arose for me. I remember having a practice conversation with Peg about something that was happening in the song I was just trying to figure out. And it was a conflict. There were lots of tension around an issue and she got giddy like literally giddy about it because she goes, this is going to be such a growth opportunity for everyone on the other side of it. I can see what's going to come on the other side of that. Everyone else is sort of seeing what they're attached to, but this is such a nourishing moment. 
And I'm like, right, I got to remember to keep that perspective around conflicts. <laughs> um, so. Thank you for that. That's actually really helpful for me. Can you tell me what's the meaning of giddy, please? Oh, um, somebody help me out. Uh, like happy, but almost like energetically silly. happy, almost like a young child. Silly, silly. Yeah. silly with happiness. Yeah, silly, silly with happiness. Yeah. Um, and the reason I start with this question, invite some vulnerabilities so that we can turn to the refuges again, the three refuges and say, because the way I'm starting to think about this now is you are taking refuge somewhere, right? You are taking refuge somewhere. Where are you taking refuge though? And just noticing that. Um, and your thoughts and habits and patterns of being are often those, those places or ways you can take refuge. And the invitation here uh, and, and the bow is to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So on the bottom of page two, I've given you that the chant that we say so many times in, in our service in the mornings. Um, but one of the things that I always, I, I say these things and we're in service uh, and sometimes I wanna sit with them almost as poetry, like sit with the, the language itself for a moment. So I thought I'd give us that occasion and a little bit of white space too. So uh, I'll offer these up. So I'll read the refuges and then just invite you to share what resonates with you now in this moment as you hear them. Um, so they're written for you on the bottom of page two if you'd like to see those. Uh, I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. We take refuge in Buddha before all being, immersing body and mind deeply in the way, awakening true mind. We take refuge in Dharma before all being, entering deeply the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. We take refuge in Sangha before all being, bringing harmony to everyone, free from hindrance. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Buddha. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Dharma. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Sangha. So my invitation is, you heard these words possibly thousands, possibly thousands of times or dozens of times. As you look at them now and what what resonates with you in what we say each morning? Jump in. Um, yeah, so um, I'd never really um, thought of these in terms of my unhealthy refuges. And um, um, it's really, um, um, it, it, it feels like there's something more possibility for me when I, when I do, um, read this with my unhealthy, uh, refuges in mind. Um, like I have company with, um, my struggles. So that's what I thought.
Thanks, Rosemary. Welcome. Will. Uh, yeah, uh, I resonated with what Rosemary said about a company. Um, whenever I read through this, uh, I see a couple things. I see a connection uh, with other people who are going through similar struggles, have a similar path, and also uh, acceptance or, uh, or letting go and how there's a way to uh, find peace in doing that. Not giving up, but kind of uh, acknowledging that things are as they are. Um, and then turning towards sort of uh, these healthy refuges as opposed to the unhealthy ones might be a way to come to peace. I love that. Uh, I want to say I want to say something more about the verbs. The verbs really stick out to me this on this pass, uh, and that and as you were talking, those verbs, the immersing, entering. I think there's something about that that is really uh, soothing uh, and energizing at once. Thank you, Will. Um, Claudine. Thanks to the, the former exercise about unhealthy refugees, I was thinking, well, ref, for the first time, the idea of refuge came to me as, oh, so if I am looking for refugees, even unhealthy, it means that I am feeling a kind of insecurity coming from childhood, sure. And then it means that I can get rid of my reactivity, partly. I can get rid partly of my reactivity if I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, because it gives me a healthy refuge, refuge, refuge. and then I don't need to answer so quickly, to act so quickly, mm. and I can take the time to re respond instead of react. Mm. But the idea of being in insecurity, suddenly I understood it better. Mm. That's what came to me. Melda. So in all the time that I've been saying this, the part that is most significant for me and has always been is now all being has completely taken refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And the reason that that's most significant is there are times I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I don't want to put down my defense mechanisms. I don't want to put down my habits. I just don't want to do it. I want to take refuge in that self-centered dream and all those self-centered mechanisms. And that part reminds me um, so beautifully of our interconnectedness and that everything I do is for the benefit of all, including myself. And it's almost like when I was a single mom, and had to work those three jobs and did not want to get up, but it was for the benefit of my child. And despite what I wanted, there was a greater good, a greater goal that I held. That's the part that when I don't want to do this and I want to seek safety in my defense mechanisms, I 
refuge in my defense mechanisms, I instead take refuge in those three things because there's a greater good, which includes me and, and everything. And I laughed because I was just having that exact thought said aloud to my wife this morning as I was thinking, I'm like, uh, I, I don't wanna. <laughs> it came out. I'm like, mm -hmm. So it's good to know I'm not alone in that. Melinda, <laughs> take us home. What are you thinking? Uh, I have a question. Um, in the past, I um, started studying Buddhism in Mexico City, where I am. Um, and I read this book of the center, and it was very strict about the habits, like um, not drinking, not eating meat, or things like that. And when I first came to Apamara, I, I asked uh, about the diet and all that. And the, the Sunday, uh, always forget the name orientation mm -hmm. and um and ellen told me oh just nobody cares what you eat like it, it is a personal decision i that's what i understood and then i asked i asked kim and he says oh i just did i'm eating fish right now but i what my question is uh and i still have it Are we, or am I practicing Buddhism if I'm not fully following these precepts? As I was talking in the earlier group, am I sitting, if I'm scratching, for then I answer, no, I'm not sitting, so let's start over. So that's my question, what do you think? I have a question back for you before that, though, is what do you mean by fully following the precepts? What would that mean? I think it's a para, para, paradigm. How do you say that? Like um, paradigm? Paradigm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Ooh, I'm curious how folks want to respond to that. I've got lots of thoughts, but Jay, you're, you're, you're Burman. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. So the, the first question I would ask you, what does Buddhism mean to you? Right. What does that mean for the fact that, um, you see, I, I, I have a, a thought that if somebody comes and asks me a question and I give them an answer and they go ask five other people, then it's because my answer doesn't resonate with what they want to hear. Right. So we will find the person or the people that, say what we want to hear and then we're like oh yeah okay this person is uh aligned correctly so it, the question is to yourself what does buddhism mean to you because i have a philosophy also that there are those who are like no i um first do no harm and i'm not gonna take the life of an animal but guess what for me trees are sentient beings and they also have life you know when we cut them they bleed so um at what point in time, how do you sustain yourself, right? So if you decide not to eat meat, anything that you eat on this planet is life, sustaining life. And therefore, if you consume it, you are taking a life. So how do you um, resolve that within yourself? So I come back to you. 
what does Buddhism mean to you? And what is, you know, what would you be comfortable with? Um, what precepts would you be comfortable with to feel that you are Buddhist enough? What does that even mean? Right? So. So I'll jump in and then I'll, I'll give a, an offering and uh, <laughs> see what comes up. I, I also have a question. So um, regarding the, um, uh, the precepts, so one of them is, is not gossiping about other people, for example, or let's say, let's just take that one. Now, either it's your intention to never gossip, but sometimes you make a mistake and you do, or are you saying, no, I like gossiping. I'm going to keep gossiping whenever I want to, and I'm a Buddha, uh, and I'm a Buddhist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, for yeah. me, it matters whether you're trying. Like, Todd gave the example of a puppy the other day. We call the puppy, and the puppy runs away. We don't beat the puppy. The puppy is still learning how to sit. So if you're, if you're making your efforts, then that's, for me, that's all that a person can do. But if you've chosen to do something that doesn't agree with the precepts and, and that's your choice, then I don't have any idea. There's a, a fantastic book by Diane Rosetto on the precepts, which I would wholeheartedly recommend. That's actually the sort of foundational book of uh, our study of the precepts at Appamata. But one of the ways that she talks about this, and this is kind of speaking to both of your questions is, I take up the way of is the way that she frames. This. So for instance, I take up the way of speaking with others with openness and possibility is her translation of that precept. And because then it becomes an aspiration for how you show up. And Malen, to your point, the precepts and uh, the descriptions here, are, we, if you're coming from a Judeo-Christian background, like I am, and a lot of our cultures are steeped in this, we think of them as prohibitions or thou shalt nots, right? Um, that's not what they are. You can think of them more as guidelines for what makes life workable, what makes it go, and what makes it flourish. Um, and so as what I would encourage you to do, and we're going to move towards in a minute, is thank you for putting that in, the waking up to what you do, is sit with it and keep sitting and seeing what, what arises in your practice. Um, but there's lots of varieties uh, and shapes and forms on how people respond to those and carry these things out. So you can absolutely still be a Buddhist. In fact, one of um, Flint's lines that I really liked uh, inside of a, uh, an inquiry once was, do something until you can't. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that you're sitting, when you're sitting stead with uh, some consistency and some commitment, it will become clear uh, what fall, what is something that you can do and is on accord with life and what is not. Thank you. And isn't it true that, I mean, there are different Buddhist practices, right? So each Buddhist Zen, Zendo, whatever, um, monastery, but will look different. They will have different, you know, even what we say here, the what is it? The, um, the rep, not the refugees. The four, the four something. What is it called? Noble, noble truths. truths. The four noble truths. It, it sounds different elsewhere, right? It, it's been so it really, again, I think 
Um, it's not about perfection. I, I think oftentimes we get caught up in this idea that you have to toe the line perfectly or else you're not doing it right. You're less than. And that's not true. I, you know, you, we have to treat ourselves with compassion like a child, right? If a child makes an error, we don't beat the child for making an error. You, you embrace them and you, you put them back on the, you know, you pick them up when they fall. That's us. We are children in the school of life, always, regardless of how old we are. We are always children. My, my thoughts, obviously, these are my thoughts. We are children that we fall and we get up. And because life, the, the human existence, right? It's a constant um, drip, drip. So as long, even if your shield is up, that drip finds a way in and we may falter. It flavors the soup of who we are and you, you just keep on trucking. I think the, the line that always comes back to me is Suzuki Roshi it's famously said, you're perfect as you are and you could stand a little improvement. And if you can wrestle with that paradox and be uncomfortable with how, or get comfortable with that, what does that actually mean? Um, I'd be really curious to see what comes up with your practice as you even live inside of that as a koan. It's been one that has been a nourishing one for me, uh, particularly in the past five or so years. But um, Rosemary, uh, Claudine and Rosemary, and then we'll go to spend some time in Zazen talking about I just wanted to tell you Milens I'm taking the precepts the, the, and we we study uh, one precept in two months and then we go to the next one what I really learned from it is asking myself questions about the precept how do I want to live oh I never thought of this oh I never thought when gossiping, for instance, that, oh, well, that's true. It is to consider the other one as not an equal level. How should I do? Am I ready to change? And so on. It's, and you, if you go to SoundCloud and SoundCloud Europe, you will find a Flint giving an introduction to, to the precepts about each precept. It's not very long and it's very interesting. It's SoundCloud, SoundCloud Europe. I don't know if you find it in SoundCloud general. I don't know. For Apamada Europe. And you will find it and it's very good. Thank you, Florian. You are very welcome. Uh, yeah, it was really ditto to Claudine. Um, and then I'm also taking the precepts um, uh, class here at Appamata. And um, I guess we started in the fall. We take one precept every month. And we're reading uh, Diane's book. Mm -hmm. And she has one chapter on every precept. And I could not believe all that went into thinking about one, one of these aspirations. Um, and that's what they are, their aspirations, as everybody has been saying. Um, and it just, as um, Claudine said, it helps you to just look at yourself in relation to these things and all the, all the subtleties that one uh, precept could um, mean um, was just very, very eye-opening. Um, so yeah, 
Um, that's that's basically what I want to say. Thanks. And thank you, Milan, so much for the question. It's such a good one, and it's one that we wrestle with uh, for so long. Um, and of course, one of the most nurturing things that we can do is return to our, the core of our practice, which is zazen. Um, so I wanted to spend a little time on that. So this is on the page three of the, which we didn't get to last time. Um, but I would love to dive in here with you. Um, so when we talk about zazen, we it just translates quite simply to sitting meditation or just sitting, right? Uh, which I'm sure most of you have heard at some point or another. Um, but it's just this practice of being with life as it is without adding anything extra. Um, and I put down a handful of different uh, quotes about Zazen from various sources in our tradition that I thought might resonate with you. So I'd love to just open up for different voices to speak. I think there's five of them on page three. Uh, but if somebody wants to jump in and get Bodhidharma first, and then we can read through the other ones, see which one sits best with you or um, opens up things for you. Nate, are you on page three of the of last week or this, okay. week. this week? Of this week, thank you. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Oh, because it's. I adjusted some things. I should have said that. I went back and revised because we didn't get to a couple of things. So I added. Uh, Revise the old ones and send out the new ones. So apologies if ah, I didn't know yeah. that. Doesn't matter. I will find it later. Yeah. Not thinking about anything is Zen. Once you know this, walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, everything you do is Zen. To know that the mind is empty is to see the Buddha. The Buddhas of the ten directions have no mind. To see no mind is to see the Buddha. Within every moment of thought, you should see yourself that your fundamental nature is pure. You should cultivate for yourself, practice for yourself, and accomplish for yourself the enlightenment of Buddhahood. Weenang. Zazen is basic Zen meditation. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Oh no, okay. Zazen is basic Zen meditation. It is radically simple and easy to do. You can practice it whether you are a Zen practitioner, a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a secular humanist, or none of the above. No matter what you believe or think, this simple practice of sitting down in silence and feeling the present moment will have a powerful impact on your life. Norman Fisher and Susan Moon. So the crux of Zazen is this. All we must do is constantly create a little shift from the spinning world we've got in our heads to the right here now. That's our practice. The intensity and ability to be right here now is what we have to develop. The heart of Zen training is Zazen. Without Zazen, there's no Zen, no realization, and no application of the practice. We are concerned with realizing the nature of being, and Zazen has proved empirically to be the practical way to settle down to the place where such realization is possible.
What lands in a soft place for you today? And it may be different tomorrow, but today what lands in a soft place? I like the fact, um, Norman Fisher and Susan Moon, that it's open to everyone. And um, it's just sitting down and feeling the present moment, whatever that is, just sitting and feeling. I love that. Mm -hmm. What was the, the last quote? I'm sorry, I don't have the, the printout with me, but who, who made the last quote? Oh, Robert Aitken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that one because I mean he talks about he talks about it in kind of a mechanistic way. This <laughs> one has been shown empirically to do this, and it, which is kind of reassuring to me. But I'm confused by the nature of being. It's saying that we are concerned with realizing the nature of being, and I'm not sure I know what that is. Which one is that? That's the last realize. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's what we're studying. And then above it says, um, your, funda your fundamental nature is pure. Mm -hmm. So does a, does a bear live in, you know, is a bear live, does a bear live in the state we're aspiring to? Well, that sounds like you're asking a similar koan as the, does a dog have Buddha nature? Oh, I've not heard that. Uh, well, that's, a, that's, that's an advanced study, course of study that you're asking for right there. Okay. Let's just say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but you're, it's a good question to wrestle with and see what, see what opens up as you're sitting and what do we mean by that nature? Uh, <laughs> And I would say that the nature of a bear and the nature of a human being are not the same. So a pure nature of a bear is different. That would be my thought about that right now. Hmm. I wonder if it is, if the, this nature of being is not the true nature of vast is a robe of liberation. Yes if you agree i love that yes claudia i love it and there's a there's a language in in our tradition of ultimate reality of understanding what is ultimate what is ultimate reality or the nature of being you'll hear these kind of phrases that feel a little cryptic um and get less so as you start to practice and start to have some sense of some of these things over time sometimes that doesn't mean that the language is any more accessible, but sometimes you have glimpses uh, of these things that are uh, labeled as best we can and, and gestured towards in language. And may I add along with Anne that the nature of a human being appears to me to be different than the nature of a bear or a doggy, but that all have pure Buddha nature in my in my belief everything has buddha nature its manifestation is just different in this world mm -hmm. 
And then it's interesting to think about zazen, just sitting. Literally, something as simple as just sitting is what makes this thing possible, right? M makes this encounter more possible. It's the heart of our, our practice. Um, and so if you flip to the last, the next page, the piece that I really want to spend a little bit of time with, and it really get into our bodies, uh, from Bogan. Um, and this is his instructions for how to do Zazen. Um, uh, Fukin Zazenji, or a universal recommendation of Zazen. And there's a copy of this inside of our chant book. And I just excerpted the part that talks about the posture you inhabit uh, as you start to um, practice Zazen sincerely. Um, and so it's interesting that I was thinking, Jay, about your response. And like, I really liked that idea of what Norman Fisher and Susan Moon said, that you can practice it wherever you are. Like it, there's no restraints. And yet there is a very clear form, right? There is a really clear container. Um, and so I wanted to sort of share that with us and explore that a little bit uh, and read it first together and then actually sit with this in mind for a few moments to see what shifts in your sitting as you have Dogen's instructions fresh in mind. Um, so it's on page four, and I'd love for somebody just to jump in and, and read the, the first paragraph. We'll read those together, and then we'll sit a bit together. You should therefore cease for practice, from practice based on intellectual understanding pursuing words and following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness about, without delay. For Sanzen, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Cast aside all involvements and cease all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Cease all the movements of the conscious mind, the gauging of all thoughts and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Sanzen has nothing whatever to do with sitting or lying down. At the site of your regular sitting, at the site of your regular sitting, spread out thick matting and place a cushion above it. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, you first place your right foot on your left thigh and your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, you simply press your left foot against your right thigh. You should have your robes and belt loosely bound and arranged in order. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left palm facing upward on your right palm, thumb tips touching. Thus sit upright in correct bodily posture, neither inclining to the left nor to the right, neither leaning forward nor backward. Be sure your ears are on a plane with your shoulders and your nose in line with your navel. Place your tongue against the front roof of your mouth 
with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open and you should breathe gently through your nose. Once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath. Inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle into a steady, immobile sitting position. Think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. When you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In surveying the past, we find that transcendence of both unenlightenment and enlightenment and, and dying while either standing or sitting have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. We're gonna sit together. I wanna, don't wanna comment too much on this. I just wanted to have this fresh in mind as we sit for a few moments. Um, so I'll give you just one more minute to read it over yourself and sort of let the words get into your body and let the instruction get into your body. And Rosemary, if you wouldn't mind muting everyone, that'd be great. Except for me. Okay. I got it. Okay. We'll sit for about five minutes or so. After five minutes, I'll just give you some other words that might be useful to you as we continue. Um, but really hold Dogen's instructions in your mind and your body as you try it, as you sit now.
Suki Roshi says, these forms are not the means of obtaining the right state of mind. Take this posture is itself to have the right state of mind. I'm sorry, can you say the last line? These forms are not the means of obtaining the right state of mind. To take this posture is itself to have the right state of mind. I'm sorry for speaking before the bell. It's okay. What did you notice in your sitting as you had Dogen's instructions in your body or in your mind? Even for that brief sit. Um, I'll go for um, something really loosened pretty deeply for me. Um, And I think it was the, um, it was kind of the, um, well, I don't know, I think the refuges in this are kind of blending, but um, yeah, all of the, the physical descriptions. Somehow, um, I got into a, a full body awareness. That's a little different for me because I usually, I have been, um, some of my meditations, many of them are with going body scan part to part. And this is all. Sorry, it kind of came together. Loosen something up. Thank you. Sometimes it stirs some stuff up. <laughs> that happens. Well, I haven't been doing this for very long. It's been somewhere between two and three weeks. And part of me wants to immerse myself in everything and experience everything. And I'm full of curiosity and I, want to connect and connect and connect with the Sangha and, 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 you know, hear these remarkable insights and perspectives. And, but just now with the reading of the rules, I found myself like pushing back. And I, I was like, you know, I think I might be a saturated paper towel at this point. Like, uh, you know, I, my original intention was to be able to contemplate nature occasionally, you know, <laughs> And sometimes I feel like the goal is now so huge all, so quickly that I, I'm overwhelmed. So I just, I have this spectacular new view of this enormous tree that's just waving its branches with snow on it. And there were three crows in it. And I just, I, I've been doing it with my eyes closed. So he says not to close your eyes. So I did open my eyes and I chose that this time. I chose what I could do. 
I enjoyed the uh, the specifics of the the body position and the posture. Um, I found it easier to maintain an awareness um, by focusing on my body in a way um, that I was sitting in a particular way, um, which is counterintuitive to me because I thought that would come across as like rigidity, but it helped to stay centered in a way. Um, also, um, normally I meditate and sit with my eyes closed, having them open was a new experience and somehow it made it harder to get distracted. Um, when my eyes are closed, it's like my thoughts are all that I'm sort of sensing and I get overwhelmed with them. But with the eyes open, it was like there was more to distract me from my thoughts in a way. So that was interesting. Mm. Okay. Maybe more to notice, right? Mm. Milan raised her hand. Go ahead, Milan. Sorry, I missed it. No, it's all good. What, what it really helped to me this time was this instruction about cease all affairs. Because many times when I sit, I haven't closed affairs, so they are in my mind. So this really helped. Uh, like, well, um... I normally meditate with my eyes closed. So keeping the eye open was definitely a new experience for me. And I, I, I was actually shocked at the fact that the hands were left justified. And it actually made me think of the heart, which is also left justified. Uh, so, because normally when I put my hand is in the center, you know, the middle way. And so having it left justified kind of, um, had me curious about that but yeah meditate with my eyes open that was definitely different and I was kind of um at first <laughs> sorry <laughs> I first all I could think about is my oh my god I'm blinking and it's taking me out and you know all these things are going and then my eyes just lost focus on whatever I was looking at. And I was just like um, in that place, right? So yeah, it was definitely unique and all the things that go through my, went through my mind before it settled on itself. Um, I'm curious for others, and Anne, I'm particularly curious not to put you on the spot because I know, but I know that you've read and thought about uh, read this many times over. I think I might have encountered it with you early on, um, but I'm just curious what um, what strikes you as you're listening to others or as you're thinking about just that short set for yourself. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear Dogen's instructions. Um, and to think of them as instructions, sort of harkening back to what Malin was saying about wanting to know what's the rule. Let's get with the rule and I'll do the rule and we'll be on the road. Um, and then thinking, I sit in a chair. I never sat full lotus. Mm -hmm. And to listen to those instructions and think, well, Dogen is saying to do this and I'm not doing that. And what is that about? And then that brings all the rest of it into 
question. And I always get stuck on the think not thinking. Hmm. What is thinking not thinking? What is not thinking? What is thinking not thinking? Non thinking. Um, and so I kind of use that as a koan. I kind of just come back to the words non thinking. Non thinking. Um, but the whole idea that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it is. Um, is interesting and my reaction to that. I'm heartened to hear like Will say and uh, that it was helpful to have some real concrete instruction hmm. that it's sort of grounded in a way. But this is not, um, yeah, nothing is settled after all these years. <laughs> Thanks, man. I just personally say anybody for me this is my truth anybody who says this way is the right way you lose me at that because I don't believe there's one way to anything I think many roads to Rome and therefore many ways to achieve the same thing you know so that's my take anybody who says uh, this is the way to do it I, you you've already kind of lost I will try it but I don't believe it's the only way. Yeah. So I, I, I hear that and that resonates with me as well and my disposition. And the thing that always comes up for me is that um, the way I think about these instructions as I was hearing you and Anne is that this is a form that people have occupied for now thousands of years and that makes certain kinds of experience available. Right. And so now whether or not you're, I can't sit full Lotus, I, my body won't do it. I can sit on a, I'm still able to sit on a cushion, but even that with my back, it seems to be fading fast. So I suspect I will be in a chair soon too. Um, so I, what I, but I think about the uh, intentionality of that container. That's the thing that still resonates with me, regardless if I'm sitting in a chair, if I'm sitting full lotus, half lotus, uh, or uh, on a stool or a seiza or whatever position I assume, the deliberate nature and the care to create that container uh, where I can encounter life as it is rather than my stories about it. There's something that is, uh, that that instruction seems to make more possible. Other thoughts as we are winding down for today. As we think about the refuges, I just sort of invite you to uh, broaden out a little bit and think about the refuges, think about Zazen and this embodied practice or Dogen's instructions. And what are you carrying with you out into your lives from here? I um I copy copied in the chat um, this video that uh, at the very beginning when I came to Apamara, came shared with me. It is about this monk Shohaku Okumura, and um, he talks about some practice, and that's where I first understand understood a lot of things about sitting and about opening the eyes and the position of the body 
And also I love it because he explains as a human, his own experience of practicing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of differ from what Genio and you said about doing it by your own way. I mean, not differ, but I, I question because there is a tradition behind this mm -hmm. and there is an epistemology based on thousands of years. So to me, it is interesting to explore that knowledge as many people had. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Milan. Can I just say though, <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, I think we also get caught up in tradition and give value because it's tradition. And so, um, I don't know, I, I question so many things because it's tradition. I think there's danger in following something because it is what is. And it has been around for a long time. And that's why I said to you earlier, you have to ask yourself, what does it mean for you? Because you can ask, you know, a hundred people the question, you know, what is the Buddhist practice? And if it doesn't resonate with you, you're not gonna you're not, you're not gonna sit with them. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna find that person that says the answer that resonates with you, and like, ah, this is the true way because it resonates with something within you. Right. If it goes counteractive, then you're not going to believe it is the true way, regardless of whether it's founded, how long it's been founded. You know, that's my um, take on it, you know, and um, if we were to go with just the fact that it's tradition, then look at all the other religions that have been here traditionally, you know, why don't they resonate with you? And if it was one way, you know, um, would we have all these different sectors of Buddhism? And there is, you know, there are different sectors of Buddhism. Why this one versus something else? I, I think these are questions that anybody practicing regardless of what religion should be, you know, or to ask themselves in order to determine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, yeah, as, we're, as we're butting up against time, but I might, and, and there's, of course, there are going to be differences of opinion and idea here. There are going to be differences of views. Um, I think the question is how open can you be to a view that's different than your own? Um, and in particular, how unattached to your own view can you be? <laughs> and that's that's a real challenge inside of this space and that's one we're encouraged to take up in part of this practice how unattached to our particular way of seeing uh as informed as it may be by research experience whatever else uh can we be uh and just encounter what's in front of us but for today it was lovely to encounter each of you again so um thank you so much for practicing together in this way Thank you for this offering, Nate. Thank you. Thank so you, much. Nate. Thank you. Take care.
Rosemary, thank you for being the monitor and for making it all go. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>